It's May 27th and we're here with Rene Enriquez. Rene, uh, why don't you tell, tell us a little bit about yourself, first of all, so we know who you are and, what, and where you come from. Well, as you said, my name is Rene Enriquez. Uh, I'm a Mexican-American. Uh, I'm formerly from the Artesia Street Gang. I uh, was jumped in the Artesia Street Gang at 13 years old. I didn't want to get into the gang. My older brother was a gang member, and uh, they initiated me. And I'm sure everybody knows they initiated. They beat you. In. Well, let's let's talk about that for for those who don't know what it is or how one gets into a gang. You mentioned getting jumped in. Mm -hmm. What exactly is jumping in? What happens when you get jumped into a gang? Uh, it's an initiation process. It's being jumped in. It's to test your manhood, your metal, if you will. Uh, uh, they beat you for a specific amount of time, uh, and, and you're expected to fight back. In my case, I did, and I was scared. I was a kid. I think I was 12 years old, and uh, they beat me up and actually made me cry. Uh, after the beating, uh, they brushed me off, and they told me, homeboys don't cry. You're a homeboy now, and you're from Martha, okay. and I was then a gang member. And then once you were once you were made an official member of Artesia, did they give you a nickname? Yes. What nickname was that? It was Boxer. And how was that name selected? Actually, it was selected by Mulder Brother. Mulder Brother was an Artesia gang member. He was a well-known Artesia gang member by the name of Pinhead. He's uh, since passed away. Uh, but we were training at Montebello Youth Boxing. Uh, and it was the first week we were there. And I said, that would be a good nickname for your boxer. And it stuck. I actually don't like the name because I don't know how to box. <laughs> okay. Uh, good point there. Now, um, so you joined the gang at age 13. Mm -hmm. And uh, how long were you involved in gangs from age 13 on? I've been involved in gangs my entire adult life. From 13 on, I, I progressed from gangs to organized crime. Okay. <clears throat> and when you say organized crime, you know, for those of us who might not know what that means, what do you mean by organized crime? Uh, I was a member of uh, an organization known as La Hembra, part of the Mexican Mafia. I was an upper echelon member for 17 years, and I participated with that organization for 20 years. And at what age did you actually become affiliated with the Mexican Mafia? At uh, 20 years old, I, I became affiliated with uh, well-known members of the Mexican Mafia. The first member I met was a, a black damn bro. I was doing a uh, prison sentence for robberies in Soledad State Prison. And uh, I encountered this individual, Black Dan, uh, who was a well-known uh, heavyweight in the organization. Uh, and as soon as I met him, and I began associating with him in, in a place called solitary confinement, the whole, within the prison setting, my, my social elevation rose. I understood that the way people were treating me meant that I was being viewed as a, a higher-ranking individual than the normal gang member. Now, <clears throat> what did you have to do from age 13 to 20 to go from a 13-year-old gang member on the streets of Artesia to age 20 where you're actually entering the ranks of the Mexican Mafia? Oh, a variety of crimes. I mean, I've, I've participated in drive-by shootings before they were even called drive-by shootings. Uh, gang violence, drug dealings, robberies, the, the, every crime imaginable we participated in. Uh, this is just the normal accepted behavior for gangs. It's, it's almost as if uh, antisocial behavior is promoted by the gangs. So the worse you are, uh, the better you are viewed by the homeboys. So it's, it's like a promotion. Mm -hmm. uh, the more outlandish acts that you commit, uh, you elevate, you rise in the gang. Have... Um... Now, do all members, do all gang members at some point become members of the Mexican Mafia? No, it's a very elitist group. Now, so, I mean, obviously, so if, if very few people ever ever actually rise from being a gang member to a Mexican Mafia, what was it that you had to do differently 
to rise above everybody else, so to speak, and, and become a member of the Mexican mafia? Well, it's, it's, it's much like a campaign. Uh, as a politician goes uh, through civil service uh, and they participate in these pro-social activities, uh, civil commitment, volunteer work, uh, school education, uh, their, their field of employment. It's like this in the Mexican Mafia. As, as, as a gang member, you are, by virtue of being a gang member from Southern California, you're considered a sureño, which means Southerner in Spanish. Uh, and, and you fall beneath uh, the level of membership in, in the rank and file of the organization. So you surrender your autonomy, you give up your freedom and all your free choice to this organization. You are now a soldier for the organization. Once you enter the prison subculture, when you go to prison, you're expected to toe the line of the organization. It means you have to do hits, hits or assaults and murders. So you have to participate in violent crime to become a member. And, and that's not solely the criteria of being a member. You have to catch the attention of 40 or 50 individuals who are respective members in that specific uh, facility. And everybody has to vote affirmatively to, to, to induct, induct you into the organization. It's a very difficult process. Uh, in the United States, there's probably only 200 members, so it's a very leaders group. And I know that most young gang members aspire to be Mexican Mafia members or soldados. Mm -hmm. but, but it's so elite that none of them will ever join. They'll be used and abused and tossed to the side because everybody's expendable in the organization. Okay. Now let's, let's talk about <clears throat> a few things. Uh, first, going back to... You were 13, you were a gang member at age 13. What were some of the things that you saw and did back then when you were 13 years old? In terms of the gang walk? Yes. Uh, there was a whole variety of drug use. I mean, I think that's the the basic portal to gang life is, is, is drug use. Uh, well, what kinds of drugs are we talking about? Any drug that was involved, PCP, pills, cocaine, heroin, uh, marijuana. I started with alcohol and marijuana. It was the, the thing to do back then. It was the seventies. But but contrary to to the stereotypical image of gang members, I came from a good family. Uh, I didn't come from impoverished areas like the neighborhood or the barrio. I lived adjacent to those places. I actually lived in, in Thousand Oaks, and, and my father was an entrepreneur. He worked hard. He came from Mexico. He was my mother, and, and they believed in the American dream, hard work, and and benefits to the fruits of your labor mm -hmm. who lived in uh, Cerritos, California, which is Jason Tartesia. So, I mean, anyone who knows the LA area, Thousand Oaks, Cerritos, those are middle class, upper middle class areas that, that are considered <clears throat> nice places to live. Um, and so, and you're, well, you, had, you had mom and dad at home? I had, and, a, I had a really supportive, hardworking family and they had no experience with gangs or drugs or antisocial behavior. They were hardworking people and they believed it. That, uh, that we should be hardworking people as well. My father owned multiple businesses and he wanted us to follow his path in the business world. So it wasn't lack of <clears throat> economic opportunity that, that drove you to gangs? It wasn't. Okay. Let me ask you this, going back to your home life as a kid, uh, is your parents, they're from Mexico originally? Yes. Were you born here in the U.S.? I was born in the United States. Uh, did your parents speak Spanish? Yes. Did they speak Spanish to you in the home? No. Okay. So English was the primary language. English was the primary language in, okay. in our home. Okay. Um, and in terms of at age 13, when you got initiated into the gang via jumping in, one day, did you just wake up and know that day you're going to get jumped in or did it just kind of happen all of a sudden and without warning? Well, I was already introduced to the gang life because my older brother, Mark, uh, who I spoke of previously, was a gang member. And now, it, uh, now, at what age, at mm -hmm. what, what was the youngest age that you remember 
being exposed to gang life in the very, very beginning. Probably about 10 years old. About age 10. About age 10 years old. I'd see my brother hanging out in the garage, smoking marijuana and doing drugs with his friends. And his friends dressed nice in these creased crease pedal tins and creased khakis. And, and the guys that got out of prison seemed to have all the power, all the allure, all the charisma. And they had all the girls. And that attracted me. Now, as a 10-year-old boy, how much older was your brother? Probably about five years older than So he was 10 to 15. Mm -hmm. Did you look up to your brother? I did. He was my own. And did you want to do the thought of the things that he was doing? And did you think he was cool? I did. He was my hero. Okay. Now, looking back at it now, where's your brother now? My brother's deceased. He died of AIDS uh, two years ago. AIDS. And you know how he got the AIDS? Intravenous drug use. From drug use. And intravenous, for those of us who don't know, is... He was a hype. Using needles. He used the needle. Needles. He was a heroin addict. Okay. And your brother was also involved in gangs, too. He was a, he was a gang, a gang member and a soldier for the Mexican mafia as well. How old was your brother when he passed away? I think he was uh, 48. 48? Yeah, 49. About, yeah, about, about, about your age. Yeah. Um, and, uh, okay. Now, <clears throat> let's talk about... Um, <clears throat> you talked about several things. You talked about... Drugs are, are a portal to, to gang life, uh, or a door to, to, to gangs. How are drugs, such as alcohol, marijuana, etc., how, how are drugs a way that people end up joining gangs? I, I think they lower our inhibitions. Individuals who consume drugs are, 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 are less inhibited, and, and they're willing to participate in acts that they normally wouldn't. When I was under the influence of narcotics, drugs, alcohol, I would do outlandish things. I recall as a kid, we'd go breaking windows uh, or, or we'd go looking for rival gang members and attack them. Uh, and this was always under the influence of some type of drug. And, and these things that you were doing while you were high, are those things <clears throat> that you would have done if you were not high? No, okay. not at all. So by being high, you ended up doing lots of bad things that you normally wouldn't have done? Clearly. Okay. Um, and it all started with alcohol and beer? It, it actually started with cigarettes. Cigarettes. We thought we were cool. We were sitting outside of our, our house smoking cigarettes, not even inhaling. We would just puff them and blow the smoke out. Mm -hmm. They were trying to act like the homeboys because they were smoking. Mm -hmm. So we started replicating their behavior. We started imitating them. Uh, and I recall uh, trying to dress like them. And my father would see me in, in creased pants or shiny shoes, and, and he'd tell me, you look like a clown. What are you dressing like that for? Those are, you're dressing like a cholo. You're not a cholo. And we'd have to hide our clothes in the garage from my father because he didn't approve of it. Mm -hmm. So we actually started emulating this behavior and it started off with cigarettes. Mm -hmm. From there, it went to alcohol. We went to my father's liquor cabinet and started tampering with the alcohol. And, mm -hmm. and then from there, it led to marijuana. And that was a big step for me at 12 years old. Marijuana was the, the first time I actually ingested an illegal narcotic or an illegal substance. <clears throat> and, uh, and I actually became sick the first time uh, that, I, that I, I used marijuana and I didn't like it. Mm -hmm. But uh, little did I know, it, it set my path for addiction for the rest of my life. Um, and then, you know, from personal experience, can you say that you've, that you've tried other kinds of drugs during the course of your life other than marijuana, <clears throat> above and beyond marijuana? Almost every drug imaginable I've consumed. Uh, I'm a former heroin addict, a cocaine addict. Uh, every intravenous drug that you can shoot in your vein with a needle I've used. Okay. And in terms of... <clears throat> your entrance into the gang life and all the things that you've done in your life, to what extent do you blame drugs for all that? I think it's 90% uh, drugs are, are the cause for, for, for 
my downfall from from humanity. But truly, this is a self-inflicted injury. Mm -hmm. This is what I did to myself. Mm -hmm. The rest of my personal decisions, mm -hmm. uh, the choices that I made in life, and, and I suffer those consequences today. But I can't blame it solely on drugs. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, something was warped in my mind that led me to live the life that I that I led. Mm -hmm. Now, um, again, just so we have more background understanding about you, being a gang member for at least seven years before you got titled with the Mexican Mafia, <clears throat> did you ever see people get shot? I did. I had friends, close friends, uh, murdered. I, I've shot people. I've I've stabbed people. I've, I've seen people shot and stabbed. I've seen people murdered. Now, you, some people might think, wow, that's cool. You know, hey, you've shot somebody. You've killed someone. Uh, how does that feel? How is it, how is it like? I mean, isn't that, isn't that a cool thing? Kids play video games to see it on TV, and it's all very glorified on a computer screen or on TV. But in reality, I mean, what do you think about that? I think it's probably the most base thing that humans do to each other is kill each other. At the time of my involvement, I was deeply involved in, in violence of the Mexican mafia in the gang world, and, and, and I am responsible for taking human life. I'm convicted of multiple murders, uh, and I'm not trying to gloss over that here. I'm not trying to appear as a dove to the, the viewing audience or the listening audience. I mean, I've, I've killed people. Uh, and there was one point in my life where I was proud of those facts. That I actually gloated in the in the violence and, and, and the the audacity of the Mexican mafia and the gang subculture, but truly, it's it's uh, it's a shame that people kill each other for the sake of a street name, uh, something they don't own, uh, for for the smallest of slights that an individual, a child, a teenager will, will shoot at another teenager and take their life. Uh, how would you feel today if somebody murdered your son? And it was then that it impacted me. That uh, I would be, I would be devastated, and I realized what I had done to people. So it, it's a truly devastating action that one takes when he decides to take a human life or participate in gang violence, because it often leads to murder, violence. It, it, it doesn't always have to be the murder. It can be stabbing, shootings, jumpings. Mm -hmm. initiations, all these forms of violence are leading to a greater form of violence in prison. Uh, because once you go to prison, you lose that that autonomy, that, that ability to say, I don't want to do this anymore. Then you have to participate. Because if you're not part of the solution, you become part of the problem to the Mexican Mafia and you're eliminated. Now, you've talked about how you've been on the giving end of violence. Have you ever been on the receiving end of violence yourself? I have. And have you ever been, I and mean, what's the worst thing that's ever happened to you in terms of an assault? I've been stabbed, I've been jumped, I've been shot at. I've never been shot. Um, a variety of different actions, bumper jacked. Uh, it's gang violence. It's every form of violence goes. Hmm. My home has been shot at. Uh, my parents were in the home when it occurred. So even though, even though your parents were not gang members themselves, because of the lifestyle you chose... Your parents came. Your parents could 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 have very easily been killed because of choices that you made. Truly. Okay. Okay. Let's talk about <clears throat> about going back to your childhood. All the gang members who were your friends back in the day when you're 13 years old, 14 years old, those that you were with when you joined the gang back then, where are they now? If you know, it's the last you've heard of them. Where They're all deceased. They're all dead. They're all dead. Now, of course, they'd all be the same age as you. They'd all be in their mid-40s, they should all still be alive with families, kids. How do they all die? 
murdered, overdoses. Oh, either overdosing on drugs or they've all been murdered. Mm -hmm. Every single one of them? Except for one that I know of. And where is he? He's in society now. He just paroled from prison after serving multiple years in prison. But he spent most of his life in prison. He just got out of prison. Most of his life in prison. Okay, and uh, so all this destructive behavior ended to be people dying at a young age. And, and I mean, no one's really successful. No one's out still, still... Uh, I think that's one of the harsh realities of gang life. Huh? I think the basic reality is if these individuals are not your friends, I realize that to a young, impressionable teen or, or somebody being exposed to gangs earlier, that these people seem like they're the best friends in the world. Homeboys, homegirls, they hug them, they party with them, they smoke weed with them, they want to drink beer with them, they want to go out with them. And, and they seem like a family almost. They accept you for, for even your flaws. Uh, but in the final analysis, these people are not your friends. When I was in prison, none of those people wrote to me. Mm -hmm. Those people sent me money for commissary. Those people helped my family when they needed it. I had committed acts of violence for the neighborhood and their Mexican mafia. And nobody ever reached out and wrote me letters and mm -hmm. told me that you're a good homeboy. None of those things. I mean, I mean, so back when you're 10, 11, 12, 13 years old, um, how important were your friends to you? They were more important than my family. More important than your mom and dad. And so mm -hmm. as you got older and as you started doing the gang life and when you started getting into trouble, how many of those friends that were so important to you were there for you through the years? None. None. They all, they all left you? They all left me. I think that's the hallmark of the organization. Uh, once you, you exceed the gang arena, when you go to prison, it, you no longer have these territorial rivalries. Say Hawaiian Gardens or Artesia or Norwalk and, and Artesia, they have uh, rivalries in society. In the streets, they have rivalries. When you go to prison, that stops. Hmm. And you're not allowed to participate in gang violence anymore. You become part of what we call La Causa, the cause. The cause is doing what the Mexican Mafia says, eliminating the enemies of the Mexican Mafia. And the Mexican Mafia has uh, a variety of different enemies, different organizations. Uh, so from that point, violence just exceeds to the point where, where you're killing people in prison. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it, it's so, it, it's so horrendous. Uh, in prison. People often see these movies where they, they, they think the guys are on the yard smoking cigarettes, playing handball. But every day you go to the yard, you have a knife. And you carry that knife out to the yard in an unspeakable fashion. You insert it in the body cavity. Uh, this is a little graphic, but it's called keystring. Uh, the only way you can get a knife to the yard is by inserting it into your rectum. Uh, and you have to go out there and be prepared to do battle. Uh, this is an unspeakably violent violation of yourself but this is necessary in prison because it's that violent prison life is not glamorous mm. and prison life is what gang life leads to that's the ultimate result and in prison you have to participate in these acts you don't have a choice you can't say no, i don't want to go stab that guy in the yard because he's from another organization or, i don't want to do that because i want to go home tomorrow because i have a parole date it's you go out there and you deal with the violence and you kill when you're told to and that's it bottom line now, did you ever do time in Juvie Hall or camp or CYA? <clears throat> now, again, just to, just to, to clarify, again, to make crystal clear your background, so just so people know that you're talking from experience, you came from a gang in Southern California, and you rose to the ranks of the Mexican Mafia, 
And for those who don't understand what the Mexican Mafia is, La M.A., they basically control virtually every Hispanic gang in Southern California, including everything in the L.A. area with a few exceptions. Would that be a correct statement? Not only uh, Southern California, there are factions of the Mexican Mafia in Arizona mm. and federal prisons, even a faction of Mexican Mafia members in Hawaii. Mm. Uh, the Mexican Mafia has spread uh, throughout Southwest United States. There are really three factions that are recognized, California, Arizona, and the federal board of prisons. Uh, but with gang migration, uh, for whatever reason, uh, gang proliferation exists in every state of the union. Uh, every state uh, has Sudanios, uh, individuals who use the number 13 under their gang tag, which uh, is an indication of allegiance with the Mexican Mafia. Um, so if you're a kid growing up on the streets of LA, whether you're growing up in Artesia, growing up in the city of Bell, growing up in the city of L.A. in Watts, in the Valley, Pomona. It doesn't matter. If, you, if there's an Hispanic gang in your area, whatever, whatever gang you want to call it, that gang is, is under the control of the Mexican Mafia. It is. The Mexican Mafia has a really intricate infrastructure within the gang subculture in Southern California. It, it's, its base of control and its base of power is, is Southern California. Uh, the Mexican Mafia has representatives in almost every gang in, in, uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and it controls these gangs and the illicit activities that occur include drug distribution, murders, assaults, extortions, protection monies. Uh, it's a vast organization. It's not for the people who have been exposed to the Mexican Mafia, even in the periphery. They understand that it may be something like the movie American Me or Blood In, Blood Out. This is not the Mexican Mafia that I was from. The Mexican Mafia that I was from was a group of individuals who are progressive thinkers, who are highly intelligent, have a high propensity for violence, and will kill you without even hesitating for the furtherance of their objectives. It's all about money. The organization has no loyalty, uh, has no honor. It's about murder. It's a modern-day murder, Inc. Now, how do... So since the Mexican Mafia pretty much controls everything, how do they view kids in schools? 10, 11, 12, 13-year-olds, do they view kids that age as being kind of off-limits, leave the kids alone? How do they view kids of that age? The Mexican Mafia does not target kids at that age per se, but everybody understands those are the next soldados, those are the next crop, the next generation coming up of soldiers for the organization. I think one indication of the Mexican Mafia's ideology affecting our schools is uh, racial violence in, in throughout Southern California. That's been widespread, and that is direct... Mexican Mafia ideology. There were a series of meetings in the late 90s, in the early 90s, with uh, one individual by the name of Peter San Ojeda, who was a well-known, high-ranking Mexican Mafia member from the federal faction. Uh, and he gave an edict uh, to target uh, African Americans. Hispanics would no longer target each other, they would start targeting African Americans. It is my belief that this behavior and this edict, and this edict has been replicated by numerous Mexican Mafia members in their respective gangs because they control their gangs, to assault blacks. You see this forced gentrification in neighborhoods, uh, assaults in schools. This is a direct result of Mexican Mafia ideology. These are kids hearing their uncles talk, F that guy, or, you know, we're going to get these black guys, or we're going to get these Mexican guys. These are reflections of gang lifestyle. And it's trickled down to the schools. So oftentimes when you see racial violence, black on brown, brown on black, in schools in the LA area, oftentimes many of the kids don't even know why they're fighting, but it all stems from the Mexican Mafia. It does. Okay. Now, <clears throat> in terms of recruitment, you said that 
the next generation, the next group of soldiers start at that age. Um, and you said that also it's very common for kids that age uh, to end up joining the gang. Is that, is that, um, I mean, why so young? I mean, why, why, why not take people who are older? Why, why recruit people who are, who are in junior high school or, or just out of elementary school into, into the gang life so early? It, it's part of the gang subculture to initiate new members uh, at every opportunity. The larger the gang, the more power it has, the more ferocity it has, the more participants it has in gang violence. Each gang has a territory to, to protect and represent. So the more members they have, the better off they are representing it. Some of those individuals who come on, uh, become hardcore gang members and then go to prison and become soldados. The majority of individuals who participate in the gang lifestyle go to prison. There are very few individuals that participate in crime in society that, that escape prison. Everybody I know that does crime doesn't get away with it. Mm -hmm. They might get away with it five times, six times, 20 times. On the 21st time, they go to prison. Mm -hmm. And then they belong to the Mexican Mafia. Their life is over. Effectually, it's over. Uh, prison, you stop living your life and you live somebody else's life. You are told what to do. So for the individual viewing this, the kid, the girl, uh, the parent, they have to understand that gang life leads to prison and death. Uh, this is not a joke. This is not, uh, I'm speaking from first-hand experience. I've killed for the organization, for the gang lifestyle. And most of the guys I know I've killed multiple times. I know one guy that's killed six times. Uh, but he's serving the rest of his life in federal prison right now. Nobody gets away with it. What do you say to the 10-year-old kid, the 12-year-old kid? Is, ah, oh, you know, that that's, happens to everybody else. And it's not, not going to happen to me. I'm too smart. I'm too good. I'm too fast a runner. No one will ever catch me. What do you say to the young man or the young lady who, who's thinking that right now? I think that they're fooling themselves. Nobody's, nobody's exempt from the violence of the gangs of the Mexican Mafia. And what kinds of things do gangs in general like to do to try to get young people to join the gang? What kinds of things does a gang try to put out there that, that, that makes it look fun or you know, like, like a good thing to do to attract young people? One of the things we used to do when I was a kid, and I don't even know if this is in vogue or fashionable anymore, there used to be ditching parties. Uh, we would skip school and go hang out with the homeboys and have parties. Uh, we'd have beer, drugs, homegirls, and homegirls were younger girls from the gang uh, who were kind of subservient, actually not subservient. This is a chauvinistic lifestyle where, where women play a role beneath the male members. They'll never be more than a male member. Uh, and I, I think that this allure uh, towards the party life, the easy sex, the drugs, the fast money. Uh, this is one of the catches they have towards youth. I mean, a kid sees a guy making two, three thousand dollars a day. They're not going to want to go flip burgers, but they have to understand that this fast money is going to lead them to a fast death. Most of the individuals I know that were high-ranking participants in gang life and drug dealers are serving life sentences are dead. Uh, this is a reality. I know it's a really big thing to say, well, you know, I want to drive Mercedes Benz. I want a Beamer. I want a, a Hummer like that guy has, and he deals drugs. I'm going to do that. You know, I'm not going to get that by working at McDonald's, but that's a poor choice. I mean, I look in retrospect, if I would have taken the steps and applied the same energy that I did in education, 
as I did in the gang life, I could have been anything I wanted to be. I could have been a professor, a doctor, a law enforcement agent, anything. I mean, the possibilities are endless. Mm -hmm. uh, and kids have to realize that now. I mean, for the viewing audience, for the kids watching this now, every opportunity exists for you at schools. So I didn't really realize that then. College is available to you. Even if you come from an impoverished family, you don't have money. Uh, there are a variety of different monies available through college grants. And if you stay in school, and I know this sounds lame, it sounds geezer, it sounds totally dorky, but it's the truth. College degree, you can go anywhere. You can do anything you want to be. The possibilities are only limited by your desire to succeed. And, and that's the truth. I could have been anything I wanted to be, but I chose to be a Mexican Mafia member. I'm serving the rest of my life in prison for that today. Now, what, what if someone says, well, Mr. Enriquez, you grew up in Cerritos, you grew up in Thousand Oaks, you grew up in a nice area, your dad had money, you know, you did it just for kicks, but, you know, I come from a poor neighborhood, I don't have money, my dad's not home, i got to support my, my brothers and sisters, um, you know, I have no chance. I mean, what would you say to that young man who might be thinking that? There are millions of success stories out there. My son is one of them. My son came from a, a disadvantaged, broken family. Because you were in prison? Because I was in prison, and uh, me and his mother were divorced, and he lived with my grandparents. And he had to go to school on his own. He did it on his own through hard work. And uh, he's living the American dream today. So if my son can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, your, grad, your son graduated from a four-year university, correct? UCLA. UCLA, and he said he's going go to go to graduate school and get a master's degree? Get a master's degree. And, and he did it all while you were not around for him because you were still involved in, in gang life. I was. I was a Mexican mafia member. He was going through this. Now, since you were a gang member yourself, a high-ranking gang member in the Mexican mafia, why didn't you want your own son uh, to join the organization? Couldn't you have brought him on board and you could have made it easy for him? You could have, you could have taken him under your wing and, and life would have, been, would have been good for him, right? Uh, I could have groomed him to be a gang member and a Mexican Mafia member. In fact, my brother was, was proposed for induction to the organization. <clears throat> but within the first year of my membership, I realized that I was going to leave. I was going to defect. Defecting is dropping out of the organization. It's, it's, it's renouncing your membership and cooperating with law enforcement. Uh, upon the first year of my induction in the organization, my membership, I was a main member in the Mexican Mafia, I realized I was going to leave. I seen the chaotic, violent lifestyle that it was. And, and I have to tell you, the audience something right now. I was scared every day that I was a Mexican Mafia member. And I consider myself a brave person. I've done things that normal people don't do in terms of violence. And I consider myself brave. But the Mexican Mafia scared me to my core. I still have nightmares to this day of Mexican Mafia violence. Uh, it was a continuous fight or flight anxiety. It was in Pelican Bay that I had my first anxiety attack. I, uh, I was called to a, a medical clinic. It was a regular, normal process you go through for, you know, annual medical checkup. And I was getting ready. They announced it over the loudspeaker, the PA system. And I started feeling shortness of breath and this impending sense of doom, this trepidation and fear. I started sweating. My hands got clammy. I got short of breath. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I didn't really know what a panic attack was or an anxiety attack was. And, uh, and I had to put up this facade because I had a fellow Mexican Mafia member as a celly, and I can't show fear to Mexican Mafia. Fear is weakness in prison, and you're preyed upon. Uh, so I had to put up this facade. It was only years later that I realized when I started studying psychology what an anxiety attack was. 
uh, and I knew something was wrong with the overall lifestyle, this continuous fear, this, this trepidation of being judged, because uh, you're judged by your peers in prison. Everything you do is scrutinized. Every action you take is, is criticized. And uh, for the slightest of reasons, you're targeted for murder. But, but it was from the first year that I knew that this lifestyle wasn't for me. It wasn't the brotherhood that they professed it to be. There was no loyalty or honor in this organization. These are truly the dregs of society. These are the very worst men on the planet over the planet. This is the very worst criminals in California. And, and, and they profess to be pillars of replication, these lords of discipline. But you look at it, they get kicked out of their homes. They get kicked out of society. They go to prison, and they're even kicked off the prison yards and sent to the isolation units. And all of a sudden they become Mexican Mafia members, and they, all of a sudden they follow these rules that they're ex expected to follow. And that's an impossibility. And, and I didn't want that for my brother, for my children. I knew that they were better than that. I knew that my family merited more than that. And so, if anyone can see gang life for what it is, it's you. I mean, because you've walked the walk, you've done everything, and you rose to the top of the organization. It's like climbing to the top of a mountain. You climb to the very top and you can see everything. And based on what you saw, you didn't like it. Is that Would that be a fair statement? I didn't like it at all. And as soon as you got up top, after all those years, you decided you want to get down and get off of it. Truly. I, I think that the majority uh, of my adult life, I participated in these acts of violence for means of survival in prison. You don't do things because you want to. You don't suddenly go out to the yard in prison and say, oh, I'm going to stab that guy because uh, I'm just having a bad day today. Uh, you do these things for survival. It, it's an extremely violent place full of predators. I mean, you either become a predator or you become prey. Uh, and, and I elected to become a predator in prison you have to survive and, and, and violence uh, is uh, the language that everybody understands and respect in, in prison in the gang life uh, if you're not prone to violence if you don't commit violence you're considered weak and if you're considered weak you're victimized and you're victimized in unspeakable ways I don't even discuss that here but mm -hmm. but victims in prison don't live good lives well what, what would you say to those who you know watch TV see the movies and you see okay in prison you get color television, you get cable TV, you get to play sports, basketball in the yard, and uh, you know, the prison really isn't as bad as, as everyone makes it out to be. Those things occur. I mean, there, there's television, there's cable TV in some prisons, there's commissary, there's even quarterly pizza sales. Uh, prison life, if you're institutionalized, is prison life. It's, it's existing, it's not living. I would say if they glamorize that, let them go to their first prison riot. Let them smell blood that reeks of wet copper pennies. Let them taste somebody else's blood in their mouth. Uh, let them watch somebody be brutally stabbed to death. Let them see the first body carried off. And let it be the guy standing next to him that was their friend. Anyone who glamorizes prison then is probably someone who's never been to prison himself as an actual inmate. Really? Okay. Uh, you talked a little bit before about, about girls, females in the gang, that gangs are very sexist, chauvinistic. Um, so, I mean, what, what do gangs offer for, for young ladies? I mean, I mean you, if a young lady um, sees a bunch of young guys and they're kind of good looking, they're kind of 
fun guys and, and they have a lot of money. Um, what what do young ladies have to look forward to if they start associating with gang members and getting involved in gang life? Well, the majority of women that participate in gangs, young girls, uh, they're attracted towards these gang members who dress sharp, have respect in the neighborhood, have some kind of status in their social circle. Uh, I think that's understandable, but I don't think the reality sinks in until later in life. The majority of women that I know that have participated in the gang lifestyle are welfare mothers. Six, seven kids from six or seven different guys passed around from gang member to gang member. Uh, just the induction process for female gang members is brutal. Now, no, I mean, it might be kind of graphic, but I think it's important to explain here how are how are young ladies inducted into the gang, typically speaking. There's an initiation process for some gangs uh, that consists of sexing a female in, that they'll sleep with X amount of homeboys to become a member, or rolling the dice. They roll a set of dice, and whatever number rolls up, they have sex with that many homeboys to be members. Uh, and that becomes the norm for female members. Uh, they have a thing called training, where it's essentially a gang rape, but it's voluntary. They participate with sex with multiple partners who are homeboys. Uh, and I really, I don't want to be too graphic, but this is a lifestyle for a lot of female gang members. Uh, that uh, domestic violence uh, with gang members, they're abusive, uh, drug use, becoming a welfare mom. And the final analysis, uh, the majority of females that I know that have participated on a higher level with Mexican Mafia members ended up in prison. They ended up in prison with life sentences, lengthy sentences. Uh, we have a group of females in the organization called Las Señoras. These are the wives, girlfriends, and family members of Mexican Mafia uh, members. And they're utilized uh, for the introduction of contraband, uh, specifically narcotics, in the prisons. Uh, they get these females to get balloons of narcotics and insert them in their body cavities uh, and carry them into prisons. So it's a continuous violation. Um, women are seen as something less than men in the, organ in the organization, in the gang world. Uh, and they may talk about homie love and the barrio and the respect they have to their homeboys. But what man would make them sleep with five or six guys? What man would make them insert drugs into their body and bring it into a prison? What man would subject them to a prison sentence if we truly respected them and loved them? Mm -hmm. This is the lifestyle for the female gang member. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have a young lady who's intelligent, who's ambitious, who wants to make something of herself, gang life is not the way to go. I would run from gang members like my hair was on fire. Um, now, was that too graphic? Not at all. Not at all. I think it's important to tell it honestly uh, and not sugarcoat it here. Now, let's say you're a parent out there, and you know, you're a working parent or you're a stay-at-home mom or whatever, but you're doing the best that you can to raise your, your young one, 10-year-old, 11-year-old, but let's say there's gangs in the neighborhood. You live in a neighborhood where there's gangs, there's graffiti, drive-by shootings, drug dealing in your neighborhood, and it's impossible to be around your kids 24-7 to shield them from all this stuff. Um, what advice, and you being a parent yourself, what advice would you give to a parent trying to raise a kid today in, in 2009 in Southern California, how do you keep your kids away from gangs? Communication. I think it's the key. Once you see your kids, you see the warning signs. Let's, let's talk about the warning signs. What, as a parent, okay, let's assume I'm a parent and, uh, okay, Mr. Enriquez, based on what you know, what are the first warning signs, the first danger signs that my kid 
might be starting to hang out with gang members or getting involved in gangs? I think a change in behavior. A change in behavior towards uh, the authority that the parent has over the children. Uh, this rebelliousness, uh, but over-the-top rebelliousness. Uh, truancy, uh, changes in apparel, baggy clothes, uh, gang-style clothes, uh, tattoos. Mm -hmm. uh, changes in behavior can mean a lot of things, including drug use. I think it's this, this, at this point, when you see the first warning signs, including the truancy from school, uh, depreciation in grades is a big indicator. Uh, I think it's at this point that the parents need to intervene and speak with their kids and be frank. Now, okay, so you're a parent, you see the warning signs, okay, my kid's not going to school, my kid's grades are going down, going down the toilet here, and my kid's talking back to me. <clears throat> what would you say? Let's say you had a 10-year-old kid right now who was showing all those danger signs and you had to sit your kid down right now and talk to your kid about what you're seeing. What would you say? What kind of heart-to-heart -heart talk would you have with your 10-year-old or 11-year-old right now if you started to see those signs yourself? I would be non-judgmental and non-critical in my approach to the child. And I would ask them with complete sincerity, do you know gang members? Are there gang members in your school? Do you admire them? Why do you admire them? Is this what you admire? Is this what you want to be? And let's say the answer is, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Those guys are cool. Those guys are tough. Those guys dress sharp. They have money. Show them the reality of what prison life is. Mm -hmm. Show them the end result of what the participation in gangs will be. And be frank about that through videos like this and exposure to other programs. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a variety of different programs that are available for, for youth at risk. Uh, Visions of Hope, uh, Protect out of Lancaster and Pelican Bay State Prison. Uh, crossroads. There are a variety of different youth groups at uh, Catholic Archdiocese, a variety of different uh, parochial schools that, that help kids that, that are at risk. Uh, and I think a key thing is, is to point out that their life is being wasted, that, that they're chasing false idols and worshiping false gods. Uh, if the homeboys are who they want to be like, if they want to replicate this behavior, they need to understand that their idols and their role models need to be pro-social individuals. Well, why don't you want to be a lawyer or a doctor? If you want to live good, a lavish life, a pro-social, productive life, it takes hard work. Nothing comes easy. And I know that to a kid this sounds kind of lame. It really does. I mean, if to a kid seeing a guy making a few thousand dollars in a couple hours on a street corner, well, I can be rich if I do that. But, but the end result is prison. And I think that the brutal realities of prison need to be exposed to kids. And I know this is harsh and graphic, and some of the things I say are really brutal. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I don't take this lightly, talking to children. Even the kids looking at this today, and the parents looking at this, and the teachers. Uh, I feel uncomfortable talking about some of it, but it's, 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 it's a truth. It's a truth that exists in every community. All of our communities and all of our lives are affected by gang violence, drugs, and, and deviant behaviors. Uh, and the kids that idolize this stuff and glamorize it uh, don't really realize uh, what it leads to. Uh, for me, uh, I gave up on my life uh, and I wasted my life. At one point, I, I wanted to go to death row because I believed in the gang life so hardly and so strongly. I wanted to be the first Mexican mafia member executed in the state of California. And that's what I truly believed that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a martyr for the organization. Uh, but my mind was so warped with drugs. Uh, I had strayed so far from my family. And it was only late in life that I, 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 I became a man because I was an adult, but I wasn't a man. And uh, 
and I realized that those weren't the things that were really valuable. You know, I, I've since been able to to hold my mother, kiss my wife, uh, hold my children, and those are the things that are valuable. Uh, family is is really what's valuable, and and I know these guys and these girls they think that the homeboys are all it, and and, and they're what's to be glorified, and they would do anything for them and die for them. But when the chips fall, nobody's going to be there but the mother and father, your brothers and sisters. And that's the reality of this. There's no loyalty in this. Mm -hmm. and, and you'll see that all day long, mm -hmm. all day long in prison. And what about, um, you know, kids in school who start with small things like getting in fights, tagging on walls, writing in the bathroom, writing on their desks, writing in their school books, whatever the name of the local gang is, or tagging crew or party crew? I mean, what would you tell them? What advice would you give them if you saw them doing that? That's the first step towards gang induction. When I was a kid, we used to go uh, tagging on walls. Uh, we didn't belong to a specific gang. We would just write the names of the gangs that we seen around. We would spray paint them. And, uh, and I remember my brother got mad at me. He told me that I was writing rival gang uh, tags in, 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 in his specific gang territory, and the homeboys would kill me if they, if, if they caught me doing that. Uh, but, it, but it's a step towards the gang life. These behaviors, tagging, dressing, the apparel. And, and another thing is a dialect for the parents. When you hear kids utilizing words like orale, simon, you know, the typical uh, Hispanic calor gang dialect that's utilized by most gang members, this is a big indicator. Uh, I mean, it's, it's readily obvious for most parents that their kids are changing mm -hmm. in, in some fashion. Uh, and for the kids doing these things, acting like they see other people act, they're merely parroting dysfunctional behavior. So, so kids doing this, if they're listening, you're acting like losers. You're replicating the behavior of losers. And I know that I, I include myself in that. I'm not far removed from the individual I used to be. Uh, I feel like I'm a better person today, but I actually followed the path of losers, and I became a loser myself. Uh, I don't view myself that way today but that was the end result of my actions. So by doing these things, you're dooming yourself to failure. They are dooming themselves to failure. It's like taking a test and answering nine of the 10 questions that are purposely wrong. You're dooming yourself to failure. And this is a recipe for failure, really. Mm -hmm. If you want to fail in life, be a gang member. Want to go to prison and die? Be a gang member. Want to be a drug addict or a welfare mama or in prison? Be a gang member. And that's really all that you have to look forward to in this. Mm -hmm. So how important is staying in school? Uh, I mean, I know, I know kids hear that all the time, stay in school, stay in school, probably to the point where they become numb because they hear it so much. But from someone like yourself who took a different path, and hopefully kids are listening, you know, the importance of education, the importance of staying in school, I mean, could you talk a little bit about that? It's essential. Uh, 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 a gentleman that wrote a book about me uh, by the name of Chris Blatchford uh, asked me, if you had educated yourself, what would your life be? Uh, and I, I think the possibilities would have been endless. I think I've said this earlier in the tape, that they would have been endless. But for school, it's so important. That, you know, I started learning uh, when I went to prison. Uh, there was a celly of mine, a cellmate, the guy who lived in the same cell with me, who who was getting a bunch of books off the library cart in, in jail. And I thought, why are you getting all the books? And he said, you're going to learn in prison that books are going to be your best friend. 
And it was then that I started reading, and I started reading voraciously. I read every book that I got a hold of. And as I learned, I realized how little I knew, how ignorant I truly was of all the opportunities that I had, uh, that I had wasted. And, and education, and I know that kids have become desensitized to this because they, they go to the campaigns in school, just say no, dare, stay in school, don't be a fool. Uh, and this stuff sounds almost laughable to them uh, because they have lives. They want to be popular. They want to have fun. And that's the first priority in their life. But that comes later. Mm -hmm. That comes later in life. Uh, anything worth having is uh, worth struggling for. And education is a struggle. Uh, it's not as difficult as they believe. Uh, college is uh, the key to their freedom, the key to their success. I would say for any youth, uh, stay in school, uh, get your degree, stay focused, figure out what you want to be. I recall a time uh, in life where I had no goals. I didn't, I can't think back of, uh, of one thing I wanted to be, like a fireman, a policeman, an astronaut. Uh, for kids that don't have that, find their dream, grasp onto something they wanted to become, uh, and hold on to it, because everything is achievable. Uh, with effort. Uh, I've done so many things in prison since I left the organization. From, from my standpoint here, I've, uh, I've done quite a few things. Uh, and I'm proud of what I've done in the, in the past seven years. Uh, some major accomplishments. And if I could do it from a prison cell, if I could educate myself in college, uh, get my GED in a prison cell. I mean, that's the hard way. I mean, to do it from in prison. Exactly. The easy way is actually just to go to school. Get it done when you got it done. Exactly. I acquired my GED. I've been to colleges. I haven't matriculated. I haven't got my degree, but I will get my degree. Uh, I've, I've produced and participated in documentaries, uh, a full-length book, uh, a variety of different videos. Uh, and I educate law enforcement, the general public, in a variety of different ways about the threats of urban street terrorism and, and the gang subculture. And, and if I could do that from a jail cell, if I could, after a life waste do that for my position in seven years then they can achieve a world in the time they have and <clears throat> to any teachers educators administrators principals who might be watching um, who are the ones who are taking these kids trying to mold young minds and teach them and the ones teachers might be seeing some of these warning signs in the classroom too um, what, what any advice to teachers at, talking as a parent, talking as a, as a high-ranking former gang member yourself, what, what would you tell teachers if you could tell them anything? Maintain personal reports with the students. Once they see them participating in behaviors that are indicative of gang involvement, grasp that child. Talk with the child. Talk to the parents. Become involved. Uh, I know the teachers are some of the most underpaid civil servants that there are. I realize that this is a difficult thing for them to assume these roles, to be a savior to everybody. But they really mold the lives of our kids. I have teachers that I remember today, that I admire, that I wish I could be like, that took the time out and talked to me. Uh, but once they've seen a point to where I wasn't listening, they let me go. Don't let go. Don't give up on those kids. Uh, you hold an awesome amount of power uh, in sculpting that kid's future. Uh, get them involved in sports. I think that's a key. Keep kids participating in sports, organized activities, uh, pro-social activities. Uh, I know it's difficult for a teacher that's, that's struggling, uh, but it's worth it. I think it's satisfactory. Uh, I know if I could change one life, 
and all that I've done than, than my time on earth is spent doing something well. Mm -hmm. And if they can do that with one kid that they see at risk, then I think it's worthwhile. Yeah, I agree with you 100% on that. Um, I don't have anything else for today. I think I've pretty much asked all the questions I wanted to ask you. Anything mm -hmm. else? Any concluding remarks? I'd say that you're viewing this tape, and um, I know it's, it's, it's maybe even seem entertaining to you right now that you're seeing a real-life Mexican Mafia member who's killed for the organization. I've been in prison now uh, 19 consecutive years. Uh, I haven't seen a summer of freedom. Uh, this would be my 20th summer, summer of incarceration. Uh, quite possible I'm on dying in prison for my, my, my gang violence and participation in drugs. Uh, and it seemed cool. It seemed like the thing to do. Girls admire me, guys respect me, people feared me. And I thought that was respect. Uh, I thought that all this led me somewhere. And I thought it made me somebody special to be a gang member. Uh, I thought it made me a really top cream of the crop guy to be a Mexican Mafia member. But, but late in life I realized that uh, that didn't make me special. Uh, I was already special. That uh, I was my parents' son. I was a father to my children. I was a husband, I was a friend, uh, and I was a brother. I was already somebody special. It just took my whole life to realize that. If you could realize that now, that you have unlimited potential, that you can succeed in anything you want to do, and that you are somebody special and maintain that, you don't need anybody to validate you. You don't need homeboys to come tell you you're a good homeboy or a good homegirl. You don't need people to come pat you on the back, they're going to pull you down. You don't need to use drugs. This doesn't make you feel special. You're ruining your life. And I know this sounds lame. I see some guy you don't know, tattoos on his neck, tattoos all over his body, telling you this stuff. But it really is the truth. I couldn't speak any more clearly to you. Uh, if ultimately you choose to disregard what I say, uh, God be with you, truly. You're going to need him. Uh, this is a harsh life, and I've lived the harshest of lives in the most maximum security prisons in the United States. Uh, and it's not pretty. Uh, my whole life's been wasted on this. And it's too late in life that I realized that I could have did some good. I'm trying to do that now. And I hope that one or two of you listen, all of you. Uh, what I say is true. This is not a lie. I have no reason or motivation to lie to you. Um, my whole life's been wasted on this. Don't waste yours. Good luck. Thank you, Renee. You're welcome.